see. Sorry, Deb, I wasn't going to turn it over to you till I got to see this because this is almost one of my favorite parts on Sunday morning. You know, I, I, I jested a little bit earlier about those of you that weren't here last week. We, we almost have, I mean, there's, there's the core, there's the same ones that are here, but I would say probably 50% of you weren't here last week that are here today and the 50% that were here last week aren't here today. <laughs> I think it's that high summer turnover or something. It's crazy, but we're, we are glad that you're here today. Um, and Deb, we are glad that you're here and we're looking forward to bring, bring that up with you. I drink all the time while I'm talking, preaching, whatever. So it's uh, bring, bring it with you, feel free. <laughs> it's good to be here. Let's see. You know, I'm getting older. I'm not sure I can see that clock back there, so I just might not stop when it says to stop. Oh, you've got a small podium, and I've got lots of stuff. It's good to be here. Last time we were here was four, almost exactly four years ago when um, Stuart and Sean and I came through. And uh, as you know, we're minus Sean now, or Stuart. Minus Stuart now. See, I always misspeak myself. He doesn't know it, but last time I spoke, I called him his, his, I called him Anne's sister. <laughs> My daughter's sister, yeah, I misspeak. Anyway, um, it's a blessing to be here. You know, you folks have supported us. You supported us through our whole 20 years in Russia, and then you continue to support us since we came back and transitioned to um, Bibles International. But I don't know... If many of you know, you might know that I've known this church in Newberry probably almost all my life because I'm a CBM MK. I don't know if most of you know that. And I don't remember. My dad was, he, he knew construction. He was a pastor and a missionary as well, but he knew construction. So he worked on a lot of the church buildings up here in the UP. And I don't know if he ever worked on the church building here, but um, I've known this name Newberry First Baptist Church of Newberry for all my life and it's a blessing to to be here and to fellowship with you okay I wear hearing aids now so I can relate okay that's gonna have to go down here and so's that <laughs> First of all, I do want to say thank you. Thank you so much for continuing to support me, for supporting us through all the years, and for your prayers and support, not only for me personally, but for Bibles International and Baptist Midmissions. Um, you know, when we were here last time, we were just transitioning. I think we had just been approved to transition from Siberia, Russia, to Bibles International. And so I think we told you that story, but it was something we didn't 
look to do until God directed us, and then he very definitely directed us first out of Russia and then into Bibles International. And um, Stuart and I, we had long plans, long-term plans in Russia. We wouldn't call them our five-year plan because there's kind of a stigma to that in Russia, but we had long-term plans that that God said, no, someone else is going to do that work here. I have something else for you, and he led us back here. And then we had some fairly long-term plans as we went into Bibles International, things that we wanted to see us do as part of the advancement department at Bibles International, and we did not know that only three months after we officially began our time at Bibles International, Stuart would pass away. And so, it took a little while, and that was right at the beginning. Well, soon after that, COVID started, and so that affected all of us. But God also very definitely showed me that he had called me to Bibles International as well as Stuart, and that he wanted me to stay there. And so I'm still there, and I'm excited about it. Now, you probably know, or you might know, that Bibles International is involved in Bible translation, right? We'll talk more about that as we go on, but I want you to know right off the bat, I am not a Bible translator. I never dreamed of being one, never wanted to be one, and God definitely did not prepare me to be one. So why am I at Bibles International? Well, we have a lot more different, a lot more skill sets at Bibles International than Bible just Bible translators. It takes a lot of other skills to keep the whole organization going, and we'll talk about the different things that we do. But I've begun telling people um, in the last year or so or more that I am Bibles International's biggest cheerleader, and about oh, six or eight months ago, my daughter Anne um, was able to go to a church, a supporting church with me out in Pennsylvania, and she heard me say that. And she said, Mom, can you give me, one of the things I do is try to make BI more visible, and so I do stickers and promotional pens, and you can pick up pens, and there's a few stickers back there and um, some notepads, but she said, Mom, can you give me some of the stickers that you've ordered and, and made available for Bibles International? I said, sure, I'll give them to you. I thought she was going to give them out. Well, then at Christmas, she gave me this. And because she, she had heard me say I'm BI's biggest cheerleader. So she went on an actual official cheerleading website. Who knew there was such a thing? But there is. And this is an actual official from an official cheerleading, cheerleading website, cheerleading megaphone. And then she put all my BI stickers on it. So this is my prop when I go around to let people know what it is I do at Bibles International. I work at promoting Bibles International and also helping others at Bibles International be equipped to pr promote Bibles International themselves. So if you look back there, you'll see there's a tablecloth with our logo across the front. I, did, I didn't make it, I ordered it, right? <laughs> but I make sure that we have those kind of materials and I also have a thing that I call a go bag which is it's like a little carry-on suitcase and in it are all the literature and examples of Bibles and things so that anybody that goes out representing Bibles International can just grab a go bag check it out with me just like a library and they know that they have all the literature and things that they need to be ready to 
inform people and pass them out at a conference or at a church like this. So that's one of the big things that I do, and I'm excited about doing it. I also try to work on getting um, our, our different literature up to date, make sure that things are updated. And by the way, you're some of the first to get our new prayer guide in a new format. So make sure you pick up one of those back there too. They're put out quarterly. So, but let me back up a little bit and say that one thing that I've seen and learned in the um, three and a half years since Stuart passed away is about God's provision. Um, Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And God has provided for me. If you read my prayer letters, you have read ways that God has provided for me. One way that he provides for me right now is that Sean still lives with me. Sean, you got to stand up. <laughs> Sean's funny. Huh? No, he's, he's a few inches taller, I think. But, yeah, that was one thing I noticed when we came home and we would go to our home church there in Carson City that we attend. And I began to notice that whenever I was in church, I always could find Sean because he was like the tallest person in the room. There's maybe two people at our church that are taller than him. But, yeah, I appreciate that he's tall. <laughs> it helps a lot. But, and he's strong. And I was going to say, one of the ways God has provided for me is that Sean is there with me still. And, and um, I was talking to him a week or two ago, and I was saying, now, Sean, we, you know, there are things we've got to get done this summer. We have to finish replacing the fence on the edge of our property. We have to um, do this. We have to do that. And he looked at me, and he said, Mom, when you say we, you mean me, right? <laughs> And a lot of times that's true, although I, I do admit that I did get to help with the fence that we did get done, but I'm not the one that uses that auger. And I'm not tall enough to do that, but he is. So I'm thankful that he's there with me. It's been good for us to have each other after Stuart passed away. Because, you know, for the last 10 years that we were in Russia, it was, we were like a triumvirate, the three of us, Stuart and Sean and me. We each had our skill sets. We each had our vocabulary that we knew in Russian and could use. And um, honestly, it took all three of us to keep us there when we were there the last several years with our different skill sets. And so I'm thankful that um, I still have Sean with me and that he is following what God is leading him to do now in his life as an adult. And I don't know, let's see, it would have been many years ago that we were here with Anne, our daughter, but let me give you an update on her. She's been married this month seven years already. Um, has, she and her husband have, well, she's finished a master's and her husband has finished two master's degrees through um, Dallas Theological Seminary and Detroit, or Dallas International University, which is uh, used to be the Wycliffe School down there. And so they are working at paying off school loans now <laughs> and while they wait to see how God will use their skills in the future. But they moved a little, a little over a year and a half ago now, they moved to the Detroit area, which is much better for me than Dallas. And so, and, and Anne is like her dad, she loves to drive, so she'll jump in the car and drive from Detroit over to me, which is a little, well, when I drive, it's two and a half hours. When she drives, it's not quite that long. But she, she likes to drive, and so we're thankful we get to see her more often now, and her husband. Okay, so 
Stuart and I had been three months officially at BI when he passed away and then COVID hit and so I got a little bit of time to just kind of be at home when the office wasn't open and figure out what God was wanting me to do. But he showed me definitely he wanted me to stay with BI and I really do feel that I am learning more and more why he has me at BI and what he has for me to do. Um, there's a thing, it's a real true thing that's called widow's fog that your mind just doesn't work very well when you become widowed or a widower. And it was a very real thing, but um, I really feel like I'm out of that now and I can think clearly and, and I have um, just, I have my feet under me better, I guess I could say. But about a year into my widowhood, God showed me something. He showed me that it was time for me to stop looking inside myself and saying, poor me, and this is what has happened to me, and look outside myself. And one of the ways that he used to do that was to get me involved in Awana at our church. Um, I was in a group of prayer, a prayer group of ladies. There were six or eight of us, and one of the ladies had been the Sparks leader for, or the Sparks director for our Awana group for a number of years. And she was going to be doing student teaching that year. And so she said, I can't do it anymore. I won't have the time or the energy to do it. So please start praying about a new Sparks director. So I started praying. The first time, honestly, the first time I prayed about a new Sparks director, I knew who the answer to prayer was. <laughs> I kept praying for a while and saying, no, Lord, you must be wrong about this. But no, sure enough, God wanted me to be the new Sparks leader. I told our commander that I would, I would do the missionary story and the Bible story, but somebody else is going to have to do all that record keeping and, and all of that. Well, somehow by the time September came around, I was doing the record keeping too. <laughs> and, but... It's been a blessing. My first year there at Sparks, I was still in widow's fog, and I could not, the kids made fun of me because I could not remember their names. I mean, we didn't have Johns and Marys and Beths. We had Jordans and Addisons and Avies and um, Vinnies and Jasper and just names that I couldn't remember and so the kids would laugh at me no that's not me or Avi I would say Avi no it's Avi finally I remembered it rhymes with Navy and so now now that he's graduated from Sparks I remember his name properly but anyway it was really good for me to be involved with the Sparks but another thing that God gave me for ministry was besides working at BI was being an encouragement and just interacting making sure I stayed in touch with other widows and widowers in our church and in other areas. Because it's a road that unless you've been on it, you don't really know that road. You can pray for people and you can be helpful to them, but it's very helpful to a widow or widower to know that they can talk to someone who is on that road and knows how the road is. And so God has, been, has used me to, to help with that too, and I'm thankful for that. I think that's pretty much the update on me. Um, now I want to talk a little bit about BI, but I heard during pastor's prayer that you at least have been exposed to and maybe you support the Garibaldis. Okay, have they been here? Yes. All right, so you know what they do, right? Yes. They're going to work at 
Come on. EBI. And what do they do it? What does EBI do? Translates into Spanish. Not the Bible. The Bible's already been translated into Spanish. Bible studies and Sunday school materials and commentaries and just all the kind of things that you're used to using in your church and your pastor's used to using in his preparations, translating them into Spanish. Right. So what does BI do that's different than EBI? Since you've had exposure to the Garibaldis, I'm going to pick your brains. What does Bibles International do that's different from Editorio Bautista Internacional, I think it is. Hmm? I was a teacher before we went to Russia and in Russia, so this is interactive, people. <laughs> yeah, we've got a bigger class, Sean. We should get more answers, right? What does Bibles International, what makes it different from EBI? Bibles International is global. Bibles International does? <laughs> we do, but there's, it's not like the Gideons or a Bible society. We don't just give out Bibles. Quite often, several times a month, we'll get a, a phone call at BI. I'd like a Bible in Cambodian. I have a friend who speaks Cambodian. Can you get... We don't interpret, no. Nope. Okay, the aim of Bibles International, and you'll see on our literature, I think, maybe, maybe none of this literature, a, Bible, a reliable Bible translation in every language, a Bible in every hand is our motto, our goal. It's in the middle of this brochure that you can pick up on the table there. So, Bibles International, yes. Baptist Midmissions is very international, yes. They're involved in I don't know how many countries in the world. Bibles International has projects um, in 16 countries of the world right now and 45 or 46. I can't remember the number. It changes. Okay. Is this being recorded or broadcast? We, we cannot broadcast it if you would like to. No, I'll just, I'll just say things differently. Okay. Usually, when I ask, what does Bibles International do, people answer, translate the Bible. And I say, no. What? <laughs> Bibles International is a facilitator for Bible translators. Because we have 46 projects in different areas of the world. And most of them are, are languages that you probably don't know. And some of them because of the sensitivity of the areas where we are, even when you look at our list of language projects, you wouldn't reckon, you can look up and Google the names and you won't find those languages because we have to use pseudonyms now in several countries that we work in. And um, it looks like that's just only gonna get worse because of the opposition to the gospel and to God's word. But Bibles International personnel do not translate. We facilitate translation because our personnel at Bibles International don't know what we call the target language. 
Okay, they don't know Upuchin, they don't know Hakachin, they don't know Aka, they don't know Pente, they don't know, they don't know all these languages. Who, who could know all those languages? I mean, my daughter knows three or four languages, but she doesn't know 46. And so the people who do the translation, the translators, are people who that is their heart language. And they translate into their heart language. And our, by our translation consultants are facilitators. They help them. They help make sure, using a bridge language, for example, we have a number of projects in the country of Myanmar. Who knows what the country of Myanmar used to be called? Burma. What's the language they speak there? Burmese, right? Only. There are many tribal languages that are in Burma, in Myanmar, and while they all learn Burmese when they go to school and they use Burmese in business, the language they speak at home, what we call their heart language, is not Burmese. It's their tribal language. Okay? So in Myanmar, usually the bridge language is Burmese or maybe even English. In um, another Asian country that some call a subcontinent, the bridge language is usually English. In our works in South America and the Caribbean, the bridge language is usually Spanish. We have some projects in Eurasia and in Central Asia that also have to go by pseudonyms, but the bridge language there is Russian. Okay, so, but anyway, the translators are people who it is their heart language, the target language, and they know that language very well. And our translation consultants work as facilitators to help make sure that that translation is true to the original languages that the Bible was written in. Our translation consultants have been trained not only in Greek and Hebrew, or Greek or Hebrew, sometimes they only work with the New Testament or the Old Testament, some are able to work with both. They also have been taught translation principles, and of course, they've been trained in theology and so forth. And so they are facilitators for the actual translation. But before we ever get to the translation phase, there's a lot of other work that happens. So I'm here to educate you about what more there is at BI than Bible translation, okay? Before we can even start translating, what do you suppose else we have to do? Well, many of these languages have never been written, so you have to develop a, some sort of a written script or right. phonics. And okay, let's put a pin there. We're going to come to that later, because we're not to that yet, okay? That's a very good point, though. Yes? You have to develop a relationship with people. Uh, okay, right. We have to, usually, Bibles International does not take, we don't look and say, oh, here's a language, let's work on that language. Groups come to us either by having had contact with a language group we, al we already worked with, or by having missionaries who know that Bibles International exists and that we can help facilitate their language translation. Or um, they might just... Several of the recent language groups that we have taken on, there have been people in churches in a country where we already have language projects, and they see 
what a difference it makes to the people in that tribal group or that language group when they don't have to learn what the Bible says in a second language like Burmese or English or Spanish. When the people can read God's word in their heart language, it makes a huge difference in the progress of the church. And so almost without exception, Bibles International takes on projects that already have believers and sometimes even whole churches in that heart language who are having to use some other language. It would be like, Sean, do you know what I said? Anybody else know what I said? Okay, Sean, what did I say? In a, in a nutshell. Okay, so. Now, the problem with that is you have no idea if what I just translated to, to you is what she actually said. Do you see where Sean's going with this? Okay, many people who don't have the Bible in their heart language, they rely on their pastor to stand up here and talk to them and tell them what the Bible says, even perhaps opening the Bible and reading it in a bridge language and on the fly translating it and saying, this is what God word, God's word says in our language. But as Sean pointed out, you sitting there have no idea. You honestly, at this point, don't know that what Sean said I said was right. You see what people have, problem people have when they have to use a Bible that isn't in the language that their heart speaks that they really understand? How many of you studied a language in school? Okay, Spanish? Okay, who can stand up and talk to me right now in Spanish that studied Spanish in school? I studied Spanish in school. And you know what? I can't put, I can understand much of the Spanish that's spoken around me but I can no longer construct a whole sentence in Spanish, partly because I learned Russian, and now when I try to do a sentence in Spanish, Russian words go in there and I speak Spanglish or Spushin or something like that, and I don't even understand it, let alone you. But imagine, those of you who studied Spanish, some of you studied German maybe? Anybody study Finnish up here? <laughs> okay, but imagine if you came to church and your Bible was in English, no, let's imagine that your Bible was in Spanish or German. That's the Bible that you have. And your pastor knows German, and so he reads German or Spanish from the Bible, but then to tell you in English what it is, he has to translate it on the fly. This is what three and a half billion people in the world have for their Bible. Someone else is telling them what the Bible says, and it's not in a language that is their heart language. Thank you, Sean, for adding to my illustration. So the first thing we have to do is research and reconnaissance. 
We have a, a retired missionary who works at BI a couple of days a week, and his whole job is researching how many people are in part of a language group that has come on our radar that perhaps they would like us to help them with Bible translation into their language. Um, Bibles International is a conservative Bible translation society, and we are tied to Baptist Midmissions, which is a church planting mission. And so our projects are geared to and, and I don't know if centered in would be the right word, but they are connected with churches with churches that already exist. They may be small churches, they may be small in number. Some places, there's whole associations of churches in that language, but they don't have the Bible in their heart language. But Bibles International makes it a practice to work with a language group where there are already believers and there are people in churches who say, we need this so that we can grow in the word so we can grow in our Christian life so we can teach our children okay um, you said you learned Spanish in school oh you learned French okay how old were you when you started learning French nine okay what'd you speak until then how'd you learn English from whom okay right most of us, maybe all of us, learned our heart language from our parents long before we went to school or tried to learn another language, right? So what I've seen in a number of these people groups, language groups that have come to us is their concern is for their kids. We want to be able to tell them God's word, have them memorize God's word, have them learn what God's word says, before they ever learn Burmese or English or Spanish or whatever they learn in school. We want, them to, we want to be able to talk to them about God in our heart language. One of, our, one of the early leaders of Bibles International was um, Henry Osborne. He was my linguistics. I studied linguistics, by the way, in college, but I'm not a Bible translator. translator. But anyway, he said... People need God's word in their heart language. He said, by their heart language, we mean the language that mothers sing to their babies in. The language that they cry in. The language that they rejoice in. And this is what Bibles International is facilitating people to do. To put the language into, to put the Bible into their heart language. And that involves research and reconnaissance at first, because we have to find out about the extent of that language group, how many people are there. We have to find out about the vitality of the language group. While there may be a, a language group that comes to us and says, we want the Bible in our heart language, but then we find out there are maybe 450 of those people, and they're all over 80, and the younger people do not, it is not the language they use at home. That's not a language that has vitality. And so that's part of our research to find out if there are people who need to have the Bible in that language because it's the only language that is their heart language. So then we do come to the part that you mentioned. Many times, especially in Myanmar and in the other Asian country that we work in, the language 
is not written down. So if the language isn't written down, the people must be illiterate, right? No? Right. A, a fallacy that some people think is that if we're working in a language group that has no written language yet, the people must just be stupid and backward or whatever. No. Especially in Myanmar, many of the language groups that we work with, the people who are on the language committees for helping to, for making the rules and the money and uh, the various things that have to be done in the country to make the, or the translation project move forward, many of those people have doctorates. Not in their heart language, but in the bridge language. So when we go in to help facilitate translation of the Bible into one of these languages that doesn't have a written language, what do we have to do then? Have to what? No. <laughs> yes, they need to learn to write their language. But again, at this stage too, Bibles International is a facilitator. We have literacy consultants who have been trained in literacy and phonology and semantics, and I don't even know all the words that they've been trained in. But they don't go in to, let's say, one of the la latest ones is the Longpuri Naga, one of my favorite projects that we have right now. Not because I know the language, but just the story of it. But anyway, when our translation consultants, literacy consultants, go in to help and facilitate that group, they don't sit down and say, okay, we've listened to your language, and this is the alphabet that we hear. You know, we have an A in English. You have a sound that sounds like that, so we're gonna call it A. We have a J. You have a sound that sounds like that, so we're going to call that J. They don't go in and tell them, this is your written language. This is how we're going to write your language. Instead, they consult with the people, and the people in that language group decide what their language will be written like. And it's interesting, because in Burma especially, some language groups come and they say, well, let's just use the characters in Burmese that make the sounds that our, our language does. Have you ever seen Burmese written? It's kind of funny. To me, it just looks like scribbles, just like this, circles and circles and circles. I don't know how they see different letters in it, but it's interesting because some of the Myanmar groups have said, yeah, we want to use that script for, for writing our language. We want to use those kind of letters. Others have said, we don't want it to look like Burmese at all. Let's use different symbols for our letters and our sounds. And they might say we want it to look like, we call it the Roman script, look more like English. But the people in the language group make those decisions. And our people facilitate them. They help them to think about the different things. You have to think about, for example, when you're going to write your language down for the first time, you have to actually think about where the word divisions are. Because when I'm talking to you right now, I don't separate every word to make it distinct, right? That was one of the problems that our daughter had in Russian because she learned Russian by hearing it. My husband and I learned it much less effectively 
by studying it in a classroom. But Anne learned it by hearing it. And so to this day, she doesn't necessarily know what the distinct words are. She just knows that when I want to say something, this is the string of sounds that come out of my mouth. So when we're helping, when our literacy consultants are helping them to determine their written language, there are many, many things that they need to determine and they facilitate. Okay, then another thing we have to remember when we're dealing with helping them to make their language a literate or a, a written language is the people then have to, after they've determined what their language will look like, they have to learn to read it, right? Now, how old were you when you learned to read? Most of you were probably, huh? No, how old were you when you learned to read? kindergarten, first grade, some, of, some very bright people learned to read before that. Some of us were a little slower, right? But anyway, what we need to remember when we go into a language group that has just now developed their written language is that you have the whole spectrum of people that have to learn to read that language. Okay? People like you, people like me with gray hair, have to learn to read that language. And Dick and Jane is not going to cut it. Okay, my husband and I even found that out when we were studying Russian in, in um, the university in Russia because it was pretty much geared to college students. And so we had a lot of lessons about what do you want to be when you grow up? And what do you want to choose for a career? And, and how are you going to decide who to date? And we're like, this is not what we need to learn. Right? So when we're helping a language, facilitating their development and their literacy, the first, one of the first things we have to do is a primer. How many of you know what a primer is? Some of you maybe even learned to read with the McGuffey primers, right? Okay, a primer is a book for learning the letters and the sounds they make and learning simple words, learning to write them and read them. And so can you tell me, does this look much like Dick and Jane? No. What does it look like? Where do you think it's from? Maybe the cover will show you better. It ain't from the U.S., is it? No. And that's one thing I really like about what happens when we're working with literacy with a language. They generate the primer. We, again, facilitate them. They decide which words are needed first. They decide the pictures. So when there's a picture of a house, it's not going to look like your house. Okay? Well, maybe in Luxembourg it will, but they, they didn't deal with literacy there. But the the nationals themselves are the ones who do the artwork, who decide the words that are most important. And our literacy consultants facilitate them. And they make the primers so that 60-year-olds and six-year-olds can both use it to learn to read their language. Because remember, these people can read, just not that language. You know, it'd be like if I set this to one of you and said, read it. I'm guessing nobody here knows Songhai from Mali, West Africa. I barely know the word. But you, would, you might be able to look at it. Now, it's got letters like ours, 
So you could maybe sound it out with phonetics, like you say, but you need to remember, their phonetics are probably different than ours. And so the primers are very important, and it's very important that they be theirs to own it, to know this is my language, this is my life. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yep, you start out making a sound, and then you teach them another sound, and you put those together, and that's how we get, you know, first we say cat and dog because they're short words. Well, their word for cat might be a really long word. It can't be one they start out with. So it's got to be geared to them. It's got to be made for their language. I have so much more to tell you. But I did want you to understand that even when we have to help them with literacy, facilitate literacy and primers and so forth, the people are not illiterate people. They just have to learn their newly written language. Okay, when we start translating, helping them with translating, what do you think we usually start with? The Bible, I mean, translating the Bible. What do you think we usually start with? John, sometimes, usually, again, the language group determines. If they say, we want the Old Testament first, that's what will help them and facilitate them working on first. But if they say, usually they say they want the New Testament first because that's where the teaching for the church is. Remember, we're already working with groups of people that are in churches, Bible-believing churches. So usually we start with the New Testament. Well, how long can you read in the New Testament before something from the Old Testament crops up? Not very far. I mean, Matthew, the genealogy, right? Matthew 1. But anyway, while we, and by the way, we do not work through the Bible books in the order that we have them in our New Testament or Old Testament. And I'm sorry, I don't have it memorized, the order that they do them. But there's a logical order in which our translation consultants help them to work through them. Um, partly because of doctrinal issues that they want to get to the more, like, you know, Revelation is not one of the first books we do, and neither is Hebrews, okay? But John is one of the first ones. Actually, Mark is often one of the first ones because it's the shortest, most concise gospel. Acts is often soon after that because Again, we're working with churches who already are wanting to grow and work, and I'm taking too long. <laughs> so anyway, as they go along, though, while they're working on the New Testament translation, there are other things that they work on. One of the things is called Bible, Old Testament Bible storybooks. And these are more like our Sunday school materials. It's not translation of the Old Testament, but it's writing the Bible stories in their new language for them. And that serves two purposes. It gives them Old Testament information before we are actually going through the actual translation of the Old Testament. And it also gives them something to go along with their primer for reading material. So they have something to read that they're interested in reading. So that's something that we do in the course of translating, of them translating the New Testament. There are four different points where they do Bible storybooks from the Old Testament to help them learn about the Old Testament. Another thing we do is a trial edition. This one happens to be from in, oh, 
from an Asian country, I should say. It's in the Rothwi language, and it's the Gospel of Mark. And the purpose of trial editions is also dual. One is to get God's word before they have the whole New Testament, get God's word into their hands, portions of God's word. Another purpose of the trial editions is to try it out, take a trial run. Are we doing this right? And they give them out. They print a bunch of them and they give them out with questionnaires and ask people, you know, tell us if there are places that things were unclear or you wouldn't say it that way. Because two things that our Bible translation efforts have as a goal is that it is natural, that it sounds natural in the target language, and that it's accurate. Okay, so every once in a while something comes up where they're almost done translating the New Testament and somebody says, well, you know, when we talk about animals, we use these numbers, but when we talk about plants, we use a different form of numbers. And that hasn't come up before, and all of a sudden they've got to go back through, and it's easier now because it's computerized. It's easier to find all the place that you have your plant plurals instead of um, animals. But the trial editions help a lot with that, to find areas where, um, I lost the English word, where they need to improve. There's a better word, but I don't know what it is now. Now I need to skip forward because we're already at 11 o'clock and you're going to have to ask me questions during the fellowship time. But I want to say that even when we have finished the entire Bible, helping them to translate the entire Bible, there is much more to be done because we have add-ons and we keep adding to the add-ons. Small concordances, Bible dictionaries, um, dictionaries of proper names, maps, um, introductions to the books of the various books of the Bible. All of those things are things that we like to do and help them add into their Bible so that it almost becomes a study Bible. Because remember, especially where we have helped them to make their written language, they're not going to have a library for the pastors in their heart language. And so that's another thing that we like to do. And then two more things I want to say. We have... Uh, there's a, an organization called Faith Comes by Hearing, and usually almost as soon as we get, for example, the Book of Mark done, they will make an audio version of it that is made available so that even if the people can't read, they can still hear it. And, it, and it's made available like online, and believe it or not, the whole world is online. <laughs> And another thing that is really exciting to me that we have happen is that there are two churches in, uh, well, down in, in the lower peninsula that they have an organization there called the Fellowship of the Code. And this is a group of teenagers and some adults who as soon as we have scripture available in a new language, they make an app because, again, Cell phones are everywhere. And so, for example, the Longpuri Naga, who are just now working on literacy, but when they begin translating the Bible and they get, for example, the Book of Mark, this group of kids called the Fellowship of the Code will make an app so that anybody who's in Asia where the Longpuri Naga live in a couple of different countries and they have a cell phone, they can download the Book of Mark in their language written. So they can get it audio, they can get it written. So when you say Bible's international, does Bible translation, it's wrong. 
Bibles International facilitates Bible translation, but we do way, way more. And so as you pray for Bibles International, please pray for the many different skill sets that are used and for the people that we need having those many different skill sets. Okay, we need far more than the geeks, I'm sorry, but they are, who know Hebrew and Greek and can translate the Bible, okay? So please pray for those skill sets. And then one last thing, please pick up literature back there. But as you pray, just yesterday, I received an update from our projects manager about news that has come out of Myanmar, where we have 12 or 14 different projects. The, comp or the, the government there is beginning to crack down and become like it used to be, closed to the gospel. It's been very open recently, and we have many believers there in Myanmar and many language groups who have the Bible now in their, in their language. But the government officials came around to our language translation center in um, the capital of Myanmar and informed that it is now going to be illegal for them to host Americans and other foreigners who are involved in religious activities. So we've just heard this news and we have no idea what it's going to mean to the future of our work and our work with the believers there in Myanmar. In another Asian country, you might have heard in the news, a region of it where we have again, 11 or 12 projects. There's been civil war and 400 some churches have been burned because it began to be a, an ethnic um, clash and then someone started taking advantage of it and started making a religious clash because many areas in that country, it has been deemed illegal to convert from Hinduism. And so there's just so much turmoil in the world in the languages where we work. We work in Haiti, we work in Venezuela, turmoil there. We work in a couple of languages that I can't name where the bridge language is Russian. And you can imagine that what's happening in Russia and Ukraine is affecting all of that as well. So please listen to the world news with a bit of knowledge and a bit of a tender heart about what that news means to the believers in those countries. Thank you so much. I'm sorry I took long, but I, I could talk for hours. And I've only worked at BI for three years, three and a half years, I, four years. I have much, much more to learn yet, but I'm enthused about it, and I am their greatest cheerleader, and I am happy to answer your questions and happy to be here. Thank you. You don't have an evening service, do you? Shoot.